1871, there was a French archaeologist that was in Jerusalem. He was digging around on the Temple Mount where the great Jewish temple once stood some 1,800 years before, looking through different things there. And he came across this large limestone block with some writing on it. As he was looking at this writing, he thought, hmm, this is interesting enough. And he kind of set it aside, didn't think much of it until later when he had someone translate the inscription on the block. And then he was shocked. This is what the block said. No outsider shall enter the protective enclosure around the sanctuary. And whoever is caught will only have himself to blame for the ensuing death. This was a sign that was placed just outside the, pl- the area where people came to worship God in the temple 1,800 years prior. It ba- was a sign that basically said, if you weren't a Jew, you were an outsider and you were not welcome in God's house. When you see these words on the screen, how does it strike you? What do you think when you see something like that um, and know that that was in front of God's house at one time in the past? Does it bother you? Does it surprise you at all that mankind can do something like that? You know, that sign was written in Greek. This is actually a, uh, a copy of it that was placed in the museum. And this, this sign was written in Greek to make sure that any Greek who came around the area of the sanctuary and the area of the temple back in those days, that they knew that they weren't welcome inside. But as time has gone on, what we have found out is that just, it wasn't just Greek inscriptions. There were inscriptions that, had been, that were done in Latin back in those days, in Aramaic and Hebrew and perhaps in other languages as well, all around the outside of the sanctuary to make sure anyone who was different than them, anyone who wasn't a Jew, was not welcome in God's house. And if they dared to cross that line, if they dared to cross the sign and go any further that they would pay, pay for it with their own lives. Now, for several weeks here at Grace, we've been going through a series of messages called Crossing the Line. And in that series, what we've been trying to discover is how we can set healthy, set healthy boundaries in relationships. Because some people, let's face it, some people aren't healthy, some people take advantage of us, some people hurt us or hurt other people, and we have to protect ourselves. But today I'm taking it a step further. We've kind of worked through some things that we can do to protect ourselves, but what do we do when people are setting boundaries, and it, there's, those boundaries aren't to protect themselves. Those boundaries are actually to just keep people away. People who are different than us. People who are perhaps of a different religious background or a different ethnic background, a different race, a different um, political persuasion, or perhaps even a different sexual identity. What do we do when we're seeing hatred and discrimination in any form? Do we, as, the followers, as followers of Jesus, are we to just keep silent? Or are we to do something about it? When we see it, are we to stand up for those that preju- that, that's, that's being attacked by these sorts of prejudices? Today, we're going to look at hatred in all of its forms and how those sorts of things cross a line with God. And as God's people, why we shouldn't stand for it. God expects us to confront hatred when we see it. And we stand with God 
when we lovingly cross lines and confront situations that encourage division and hate. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2 in your Bibles this morning. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to see today God's view on hatred and discrimination in a a multitude of different places throughout the Old Testament and the New. But we're going to focus in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning because I feel like this is kind of the heart of what God has to say to us this morning. We're going to see where in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul challenged those defending hateful signs like this that were out in front of the sanctuary. And why Paul was willing to die. And Paul did die. To try to tear down signs like that one. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11. God, I just pray that as we spend some time in your word this morning. That you would speak to us very clearly. Help us to see your heart in this matter. Lord, in our world today, there is just... No matter what we do to try to stamp out prejudice and hate, it just seems to keep rising up over and over and over again. God, we pray that you would make us sensitive to these things, but not only make us sensitive, but to make us resolute. Help us, Lord, by help us, helping us to understand your heart around this issue. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to read to you, if I can, just a few verses out of Ephesians chapter 2. This was a letter that Paul wrote to the people in Ephesus, which was a, a city back then, which is a now modern-day now modern Turkey. And um, he was writing to some people, as I said, who were followers of Jesus. And uh, this is what he said in verse 11. He said, don't forget that you Gentiles, Gentiles meaning not non-Jews, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. That's a nice English translation for that who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now, you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God. But now... You have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Now, think about this with me for just a minute. Who was this written to? Who was this letter written to? The Ephesians. This group of people who were who, who were living in what is now the nation of Turkey, to the north of Jerusalem. People who were not Jews by bloodline. People who were considered uncircumcised heathens, is the way they put it here, uh, um, There were lots of other things that were said about these people by the Jews in that day. And Paul is reminding them in this moment that discrimination is alive and well. He's saying once you had no hope because you were excluded from being even considered as part of God's people. Now, before I go farther, let me just paint a picture for you about how bad the prejudice was in this day. I don't think you realize I mean, we, we're, we live in a world filled with prejudice today. And back then, the prejudice among those who were Jews and not Jews was so off the chart. I mean, let me give you an example. One of the writings I found from this period written by a Jew said this. The Gentiles 
were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. That was one writing. Another one, God only loves Israel of all the nations that he has made. Jews back in this day had actually made it against the law to even help a Gentile woman during childbirth. Do you know why? Because if you did so, you would be helping bring one of them into the earth. When a Jew married a Gentile back in those days, the Jewish family carried out a funeral service because in their eyes, their family member, man or woman, was as good as dead. Jews weren't even allowed to walk inside the home of someone who wasn't a Jew and vice versa. That's how deep the barriers were between Jews and non-Jews. And with that in mind, let's read a few more verses of what Paul says here. This is, what he's, this is the culture he's speaking into as he's writing this. In verse 14, he says to these Ephesian people who were considered outsiders, he says, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. Peace. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Keep that phrase, wall of hostility, in mind. In some of your translations, it actually says the wall of hate. Verse 15, it says, He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people out of two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. And then he says, He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us, all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Now, this wall that Paul is talking about, I believe it's in verse 15, this wall of hostility or this wall of hate. Let me explain something to you. What he's talking about, this wasn't a figurative wall. This was a literal wall that he was talking about. And everyone who was reading this writing knew about this wall far too well. This wall of hostility or hate, as Paul put it, it was called the Soreg wall in Hebrew. And it was this four and a half foot wall that surrounded God's temple, that surrounded the place of worshiping God back in those days on the Temple Mount. It was just high enough that if you were an outsider, if you weren't a Jew, if you were excluded, you could still see over the wall. You could see that other people are worshiping, but you could not go in. This four and a half foot wall was a prominent feature that surrounded the sanctuary. And everyone back in those days, they knew about it. Didn't matter if you were a Jew or not. You knew about the wall. And in 1871, when that French archaeologist was digging through the rubble and he found that limestone block with the inscription written in Greek, he came to realize that was a part of that wall. That was one of the inscriptions that said, if you're a Greek, if you're an outsider, you're not welcome here. And if you dare cross this wall, you will pay for it with your life. Now, we're not sure... When these signs started going up, when this wall was built, 
But we do know that it was a later addition due to the hostility that was forming between the Jews and other races back in that day. It was never, never, ever a part of God's original plan for his house. In fact, when you read through the Old Testament, what you see is that God's commands to his people, the Jewish people, it was exactly the opposite. When you look at Leviticus 19, God's giving laws to the Jewish people back in that day. And here's what God says to his people. He says, don't treat or take advantage of foreigners. Don't, don't treat them any differently. Love them just as you love yourself. Now, you remember when Jesus was talking to the religious leaders back in his day and they said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment, right? And remember what he said? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? He was pointing back to the Shema, which was this writing in Deuteronomy that all the Jewish people knew far too well. But then Jesus added to it. He said, you know what? I have a second commandment for you as well. It's only second to the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. And in that moment, the the passage of scripture he was referring to was this one. He was saying of all the other scriptures in the Old Testament, there, there are two that you need to keep in mind. Number one, love God. And number two, you need to love your brother and your sister. It doesn't matter what their background. And so... Remember the question the religious leaders posed that? It was like, well, okay, Jesus, who is our neighbor, right? Because we're good at drawing walls here. We're building boundaries, building fences. We're good at keeping people out. So who is really our neighbor? And you know what Jesus did? He told them the story of the Good Samaritan, the, one, of the, um, one of the races of people that all these Jewish people hated, detested. That was the example that Jesus set. By the way, God also said in Leviticus that if you see someone showing hatred or discrimination, to confront it. And if you don't confront it, God said, then you're complicit in that person's guilt. Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing writing to the Ephesians, and even throughout his life as a follower of Jesus, Paul took that verse to heart. Paul's telling the Ephesians that Jesus' work on the cross destroyed every dividing wall, every barrier of hatred once and for all. In verse 15, it says that Jesus broke down all these rules that they had had created to separate those who were different from them and to give them justification for hating them. And in verse 16, it says that God sealed his love for all of us on the cross. Now, he later told the Ephesian people that there should be peace instead of hatred because they were members of the same body and fellow heirs of every promise from God that the Jews were. This was groundbreaking news for them. They had been told all their lives, you're not acceptable to God. You're not good enough. You're different. And Paul said, "Uh uh-uh, that's not true. Because of Christ, because of his work on the cross, there is no Jew or Gentile. There is no slave or free. There is no male or female. There's no civilized or barbarian was even one of them. He says we're all one in Christ. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Paul was beaten. He was drugged into prison in Rome, and he was ultimately executed for trying to tear down that wall. 
for trying to do something about destroying this dividing wall of hate that religious people had set up. For challenging it back in his day. If you look at Acts chapter 21, what you'll see is there's a story of Paul. He has been traveling all over the Gentile world telling people about Jesus. And he decides to go back to Jerusalem. And his friends are saying, you, know, you probably shouldn't go. They don't really like you all that much. You're, you, you keep hanging out with these non-Jewish people. And he doesn't care. He says, I'm doing it anyway. And what the first things he does is he goes to the temple to worship God, the Jewish temple. And then there's this one place in Acts 21 where it says that Paul is going into the temple in Jerusalem and this Jewish mob gathers around him and they start shouting at him, kill him, kill him, as he's walking into the sanctuary to worship God. Kill him, they said. You know why? Because they were accusing him just before that, uh, uh, the day before, of bringing in a Gentile. One of the Ephesians, actually, named Trophimus. And bringing him past the sign, past the wall of hate, and then walking with him into the temple to worship God. And as these Jewish people are rising up and forming a mob, and no doubt they're seeing the signs all around them in every language that says, if anyone who's an outsider walks through these walls, kill them. When Paul was imprisoned in Rome, he wrote the Ephesians. And he said, Jesus has torn down that wall. Even though that Soric wall was still standing around the temple back at that time. Now, Paul didn't live to see it. But just three years after he was executed for this, that wall and its signs and the whole temple was brought to the ground by some of the very people that the Jewish people tried to keep out. The Roman soldiers came in in 70 AD and destroyed that wall, destroyed the sanctuary, destroyed all of it. And to this day, not one of those signs has ever been put back in its place. Now, you'd think that 2,000 years later, after so many centuries of fighting and hatred and division that have caused so much suffering that this world we're living in would have learned its lesson, right? Especially among those of us who were followers of Jesus. But even just 50 years ago in this country, there were still signs. There were still barriers that said some people are allowed in and other people are not. Just 50 years ago in this country, signs were still forbidding people of different races or different ethnicities or different religious backgrounds from entering certain restrooms or restaurants, even going to use certain drinking fountains or swimming pools. Hatred was so intense, so pervasive across this country that there was a green book that was published for decades. Do you know what the green book was? I actually have a copy of it this morning. This book, it's got on the cover of this one, it says, For Vacation Without Aggravation. This was a book that was published to help protect African-American motorists as they traveled through different cities in the United States. In this book, it, was, it shared which restaurants were safe to go into, which hotels it was safe to spend the night at, which restrooms they could go into, which swimming pools they could go into. And this is how thick that book was for the entire United States of America. 
I saw a copy of this, and I actually flipped to Arizona. And for Tucson, would you believe in 1964, this was published just a few years before I was born, 1964, there were only two places that were listed as safe in Tucson for an African-American to be. A hotel on 6th Street and a woman's home by the name of Louise Pitts. Because you see, and what they started doing is they started listing the addresses of certain people's homes that were safe when there weren't enough safe places in public to be able to go. And Louise Pitts' home on Perry Street was one of those places. 50 years ago. It's amazing, isn't it? How far we've come. Yet when we watch the news, we see we really haven't come as far as we think we have. <laughs> right? I mean, how many of you have watched the news this week and seen ISIS bombs and kills kids in Manchester? <laughs> ISIS kills Coptic Christians in Egypt. I mean, it just keeps going on and on and on, doesn't it? In your online sermon notes today, I provided all kinds of great resources. I would encourage you, maybe just grab a cup of coffee this afternoon and sit down and, and look at it at gracetucson.org slash Bible. One of the videos I give you in there was a video that was created about the Green Book and how it was used by African Americans traveling Route 66 through our country and even what they encountered when they went through Arizona. You know, this Memorial Day weekend, we celebrate those in America who gave their lives for freedom. Yet, in 1964, there were scores of African Americans who had given their lives a century earlier to see their brothers and sisters still not living in freedom. People were still faced with signs and barriers wherever they went in public until Christian leaders like Martin Luther King Jr. stood up and confronted those signs and confirmed the people putting them up and put a stop to it once and for all. Thank God for people like him. But even today, as I said, in 2017, is the hatred gone? Is it? Has the church stamped it out yet? Unfortunately not. Prejudice still exists, and it is as real now as it ever was. In recent years, organizations have had to fill in for the church and to remind the world that black lives matter. And that blue lives matter. And that gay and transgender lives matter. And that Christian lives and Muslim lives, they matter. All lives matter. Even those who have beliefs vastly different from yours and mine. Fear and hatred still raise barriers. And we, as the body of Christ, guys, we must be vigilant. Not, to, not only to allow these pitfalls to, not, to be in our own lives... But we're to also play our part and use our voices and our God-given abilities to help tear down those barriers. Just like the Apostle Paul did 2,000 years ago. We can't escape the hatred in this world. I mean, you know it, I know it. It's everywhere. But when we humbly, when we lovingly, when we resolutely stand up to those who cross the line... And we confront hatred. We stand with God. Amen. What about you? When you see hatred in all of its forms, all of its subtleties, how do you tend to respond? Do you respond in fear or faith? 
Is your first instinctive reaction to just kind of run away from it to pretend you didn't see it? Or is it to run into it and say, as a follower of Jesus, no. Not on my watch. It's not going to happen. As a follower of Jesus, I refuse to allow this kind of thing to continue. Are you willing? Are you willing to put your neck out on the line for someone else's? You know, lately, I've been keeping up with the news in Mosul, which is a city in Iraq. Mosul is the second largest city in Iraq. It's about three million people. It's about the size of the Phoenix area. And it was overrun by ISIS Muslim terrorists in 2014. Back in that time, in 2014, thousands of Christians fled for their lives. And if they were caught by ISIS rebels, they were given an option. Either repent or die. Either change, recant from your Christian beliefs and follow Islam, or we will kill you for it. And many people gave their lives because they were refusing to run and they refused to deny Christ. Churches and monasteries all over Mosul that had been there for centuries were blown up or burned to the ground by those who were trying to propagate these beliefs. Now, the good news is, I just flipped over, open the Washington Post last night, and an article was just posted just a few hours ago that said these terrorists that have been in Mosul for, for three years now, they were within days of being run out of town. I read that, that they are now, that all the ISIS terrorists, that were, there were thousands of them all over Mosul. Now they're, be, they're all cornered in this one far western part of Mosul out by the Tigris River. And Iraqi forces, hopefully, according to the Washington Post, will have driven them out of town by the end of the week. I am so excited about that. <laughs> After all these years, the people of Mosul will get their city back. But one of the things that really impacted me just recently was uh, there was a there's a uh, young um, kid. He's a motion graphics designer in Los Angeles by the name of Michael Chang. Michael Chang watched the news in 2014 as ISIS rolled into Mosul and he saw these scenes of people being attacked. And he created a video and he posted it posted this video on YouTube for the world to see, including those who were a part of the organization known as ISIS. Take a look at this. In 2014, this young college kid in L.A. prayed, God, you've given me this gift. Help me do something about this. I think he did. There are millions of people around the world that have now seen this video. You That line where he says, the people of the cross die at our gates. He actually said in an interview after that, he says, I actually was weeping while I wrote those lines. I felt the Lord's love for those that are persecuting him so strongly. Love that's coming after them. 
pure, raw, unadulterated love is pursuing and chasing after them throughout the corners of the earth. Love is the only thing that can break a hardened heart. A little bit later in the interview, he said something that I thought was really meaningful. He said, you know what? Missiles don't destroy ideologies. They're not strong enough. Only the gospel has the power to change hearts. I think he's right. Therefore, he says, the responsibility of defeating the root of ISIS falls on the Christian. You know, there's so much good stuff in your online sermon notes this week. I've included this video that you've just watched, but I've also included a video in there that Michael Chang produced after this one. Has he interviewed nine refugees who escaped the terrors of Mosul, and they share their story. You you don't want to miss that video. If you thought this one was powerful, to hear these people share, it's just incredible. So, may you and I stand boldly with the Apostle Paul and Martin Luther King Jr. and Michael Chang and use our gifts, use our voices to confront hatred every time it raises its ugly head. May we remember God's words of love to others. May we remember God's words to the Galatians and the Colossians, other Gentiles in the New Testament, when he told them, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're slave or free. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you're civilized or barbarian. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And may, may we add to the words of that verse as we put our two cents into it and say, it doesn't matter if you're black or white or Mexican or Russian or upper class or lower class or Democratic or Republican or Libertarian or Tea Party or no party. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Because what matters now isn't the things that human nature divides us. No, what matters is Jesus, the one who unites us from every background, every tribe, and every tongue. And through Christ, we, each one of us, can play our part to overcome prejudice, to stamp it out, just like many followers of Jesus have before us. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that you would give us that kind of boldness. The boldness of a a college kid in L.A. who decided, God, you've given me a gift of video production. Let me use it. Or the gift of, like you did with Martin Luther King. God, you've given me a voice. Let Help me use it to fight the hatred in the world around me. God, I pray that you would help each one of us to discover our own voice. To find those places where hatred exists. And Lord, when we see it, that there would be this righteous anger that rises up inside of us that says no not on my watch this will not continue give us the courage to even confront those that we love at times who are saying things that are filled with hate and turn it by filling our words with love help us lord as a society as a nation as a world when we so frequently go against your will And we follow hate instead of love. God, remind us. Remind us that when you created us, you created each one of us differently. And that you see that as a a sign of uniqueness. That it's your 
personal touch on each of our lives. And rather than allowing those things to divide us, Lord, would, we, would you help us to see that those should be the very things that we use to learn from each other and to become stronger together. God, we thank you that you have saved us from ourselves, that you have saved us from the sinful world we're living in and the darkness that's all around us. God, we ask that you would uh, just continue to open our eyes and help us to see these things in our society, in our world, and be the follower of Jesus that you've called us to be. And Lord, for those of us who are here today in this room or those who are listening online, uh, with every head bowed and eye closed, that if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, if you have never run to this one who loves you, would you come to realize today that he is calling out for you, brother, sister, and he won't stop until he has you. The God who created you uniquely and and loves you far more than you'll ever imagine, he's calling out to you today and saying, come. Ignore the world around you and all the messages of hate. Ignore even the message of Christians that have at times spread that message of hate and division. Ignore all that and look to me. If you've never said yes to Jesus, or maybe you did a long time ago and you just sense God's calling you back. God's calling you, God's reminding you of what Christianity is all about. And I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me in the silence of your heart. But pray it boldly and ask God to do a work inside of you today. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we are filled with joy and hope. Because even in the world we're living in, we recognize that your light Your fire has not dimmed. It has not been snuffed out, and it will not be. God, we ask that you would forgive us, each one of us, for those times in our lives when we have broken your heart, perhaps even those times in our lives when we have carried a message of hate ourselves, when we have hated our brother or sister for some strange reason. Forgive us, Lord, for those times when we have done that. God, we ask that you would come into our hearts and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Wash away all of those things. And begin to do a work in our lives, Lord, to change us from the inside out. Making us into the men and women you've called us to be. Men and women of the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.